should we do a question and answer period? Because this looks like a safe crowd. <laughs> Can I do whatever I want to do? I don't know. My voice is louder because I have the microphone, but... Um, what kind of questions? <laughs> did I just have a birthday? No, no, I did not. I celebrated another journey around the sun. <laughs> yes, Mickey, but I'm trying to not think about the number. It's just 48 times around the sun, that's it. Because I just refuse to, you know, start believing all the stuff that's supposed to happen to my body after 45 is going to start happening. So I just keep that number out of my head and I'm good. <clears throat> I, I, yes, I am. Thank you. Yes. Yes. No, seriously. So like, we have plowed through a lot of ground, those of you that have been around for the whole journey. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> um. But I know, you know, there's always questions. It's always, we've tried to do this before, and because people are always like, do a question and answer. And then we try to do a question and answer, and I don't get any questions, and so then. Advanced notice? You know, that's a good idea. We'll do that. Okay, go ahead. Do we need to do the microphone? No, because this is kind of informal at the moment. I'll probably okay. preach something, so no, it's fine. How do I stay positive in such a negative world? Ask Connie. <laughs> Connie, Connie and I were just talking about that. <laughs> I don't listen to the news at all, at all, ever. Why don't before I go to bed because I can't go to sleep? Yeah, I, I just. Why? Uh, no, I'm telling you seriously. I've, I've functioned for, what is it, seven years and haven't listened to a single newscast in seven years. And I'm functioning fine. Of course they do. Of course they do. Because your brain has a negativity bias. Because when we were living in caves, when we were in our hunter-gatherer <laughs> times, you, you, you had to stay alive. And so your brain is, is hardwired to focus on anything that might be a threat. So what they do is constantly talk about what's a threat because it will get your attention. Well, so actually, bad news sells. I watch America's Got Talent. That's very fun. America's Got Talent. Are we, we're not streaming, right? We're recording? Okay. Is there anybody watching? The stream? You don't know? No way to tell. I was gonna name drop, but I'm not gonna do it. It's never mind. It, it has to do with Dancing with Stars, but never mind. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
I'll tell you what, come to church next Sunday and you can ask Aaron. Um, he was going to be with us today, but um, uh, I told him next week would be better. Because so. <laughs> I don't know, I haven't seen the video and I don't want to speak for him, but he'll be here next week, so you can ask him. Do what for myself? Of course. Yeah. Again, again, because you're you're referencing something that that Aaron was talking about, and I don't really have the context for it, so I, I wouldn't want to speak for him. If you're asking me, um, I, I, I'm not clear on the question. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. You have stated that we are supposed to work on it ourselves to make it come to where we want. Ah, yes. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Cause... So, the question I have is, how do you do that with the healing? Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I'm clear. Thank you for restating it so I could get clearer on the question. So, apparently, the way I have presented healing in the past has caused some confusion because people have consistently, not just Mickey, but several people have fed back to me stuff that I don't think or believe. <laughs> so, so that lets me know I messed up in my communication, right? If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about the meaning of the communication is the response that you get, not necessarily what you're intending to say. So whatever the receiver hears, and understand you to say that's actually the communication that took place. So I take ownership of that. <clears throat> because of the way I've stated things, people have created this either or idea when it comes to their own personal healing. Uh, for years, we had healing services, miracle services. Uh, there was about a four-year stretch that we had a healing or a miracle every time we came together, every single time. Didn't matter if it was for a prayer meeting or a Sunday service or, uh, and most of that was flowing through our healing teams. Um, a lot of it flowed through me, uh, in words of knowledge, power gifts, that kind of stuff. Um, and then that kind of shifted and I've been talking a lot about, um, not being dependent. And this is the issue because if you are dependent upon someone else's prayer, or someone else's anointing, in order to get healing, you're not in a very empowered place. Because what if they're off that day? Well, what if they're having a bad day? What if the anointing isn't showing up with them? What if, you know what I mean? I mean, we used to go to Benny Hinn meetings whenever we could. And I remember the, the worst Benny Hinn meeting I'd ever been in in my life was in Colorado Springs. I mean, it was horrible. The first time we went and saw him, man, there was presence and power and all this stuff. And then the last time we saw him, he was trying to work it up, like obviously trying everything, trying to get every anointed singer, trying to get, uh, and nothing was happening. So then he got really angry. And if you never watch Benny live, you, like you don't see Benny on TV like Benny is. He is rude and mean. <laughs> I was in a meeting where I heard him pray down curses on his enemies. Yeah, remember that? Horrible curses. Be struck with blindness. Be, may your kids die young. Uh, all in the name of Jesus. 
Um, so not a good model. But, of course, they don't put that on his TV program. Um, so whoever came to that meeting looking to get healed because Benny was anointed left disappointed <laughs> and rebuked and blamed. Right? So the idea is to get you to connect with the power that's within you and work on your own healing. That's the message I did last week, physician, heal thyself. Right? But that does not mean that it cannot also be a collaboration with other people. So it is not an either people pray for you and you get healed or you get it by yourself. It is feel empowered to connect and get healing from God because you believe in your own relationship and connection with God and solicit the help of people who are also flowing in that stream so that you can be healed. So you don't have to choose one or the other. You can do both. So anymore, when I, when I do healing work, like I want to talk to the person and find out where the blocks are in their own thinking and in their own life that's preventing them from coming to faith and connecting with God. Then at the same time, I'm going to do what I know to do, which is a whole seminar in and of itself, so I can't take longer on the answer <laughs> than this. But we've done lots of trainings on how you minister the Spirit and the energy and the power of God through the laying on of hands for healing and the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. But it's a whole, like evening, day-long workshop, so I can't really address it in this context. Does that help? Okay. Great question. Thank you for bringing that up. So it's not an either-or. It's not, because I've had so many people say to me, well, we used to get prayer for healing, but now we got to get it ourselves. Now it's wrong. I've even had people say, you said it was wrong to go ask for prayer. I'm like, scratch my head. I'm like, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Great question. Anybody else? Question? About stuff we've covered or talked about or about the journey that we've been on? Yes, Mickey. No, it's fine. Yes, ma'am. Another great question. She said, can you define meditation? Can you define meditation? It's what it's supposed to be. Um, that's a little bit like trying to define Christianity when there are thousands of denominations. <laughs> so here's what I mean by that. Meditation is a word that encompasses all sorts of different inward work and practices. So there is not one right way or even a wrong way to do meditation. Um, so, there you go. <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to clear the screen of your mind so that you can get outside of the patterns of your own thinking and feeling, 
thus trying to quote unquote empty your mind, then that is there are meditations that will help you do that. If you're trying to reprogram your subconscious because you were raised with a lot of shaming ideas and beliefs and that stuff keeps playing over and over again in your nervous system, then you can do guided meditations and affirmations that will help reprogram your subconscious. If you want to ascend, in a sense, uh, to pray in the Spirit, that is a form of meditation. If you're listening to the Word that the Holy Spirit is sending to you in your heart, that is a form of meditation. If you're trying to align your inner self so that your thoughts, feelings, words, and actions are in alignment with who you really are, that is a type of meditation. All those functions come under that heading of meditation. So you have to decide what you want to accomplish. And then if you do that, we can help you find the meditation that might get you where you want to be. Yes, Tiana. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, great question. What does it mean to walk along with Jesus? Um, and I and I understand exactly the struggle and and what you're asking. And it's um, I'm trying to think the best way to answer because I've gone through several. Um, can I use this word? Reincarnations of what that means. <laughs> All in this life. <laughs> uh, early on, it meant obeying the Bible. You know, you just, the, Jesus is the word. He speaks through this and boom. And that led to a nervous breakdown. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> a near nervous breakdown. So the, the way I see Jesus, um, uh, and it's funny that, that you would ask me this because I've been thinking about this in light of the Gospel of John, in light of Colossians, that Christ is in, Christ is in you. So, rather than trying to model myself after the Jesus that I read about in the Gospels, uh, which is impossible to do, because he lived in a completely different culture, under a completely different setting, dealing with totally different sets of issues. And, you know, we, we all love these pictures of Jesus as this kind, you know, shepherd carrying the... Um, we don't so much like the images of Jesus in the book of Revelation. We, we don't so much like the images of Jesus, you know, getting angry and hitting, you know, making whips. And <laughs> Unless we want to justify being a jerk. That's usually when we point that out. Well, Jesus did this too, you know. So it's just really hard, you know, like... the what would Jesus do, bracelets and all of that stuff. Um, then for the longest time, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to share from my own personal journey in this. Then for the longest time, I went through, part of the transition that I went through of deconstruction, we were talking about this in the first service, where you have a set of meanings and beliefs that you believe is absolutely the truth, and you're sold out to it and you're devoted to it, and then something comes along and you realize, wow, um, 
Things aren't like I thought they were. If it's one or two beliefs, you can change them, and it's all good. But when your whole paradigm gets turned over, (laughs) um, and you go through a process, and God is taking people right now through a process of deconstructing, complete deconstruction of that things are not at all like we thought they were. And it's not just happening with me. It's happening with people all over the world because I'm hearing from them. (laughs) I'm hearing from people all over the world that are going through this. Um, And then there are the critics. There are those that are buttoning down the hatches. Oh, my God, you know, what's happening to Christianity? This must be the great falling away. This must be, you know, whatever. And... uh, and they make the assumption, or they try to put out there, that people just wanted to get away from Christianity. They, they don't ever like address why that might be. <laughs> but for me, it wasn't that. For me, it was trying to draw nearer to the heart of God. So here's how my deconstruction started to take place. Um, I started waking up. Now, I've never been a morning person, ever in my life, ever. Um, my high energy time starts at 10 o'clock and usually runs till about 2 in the morning. That's when I can get the most done. If I try to sleep, I have to take a sleeping pill. So I started waking up about 5 in the morning, sometimes 3 in the morning, sometimes 4 in the morning, every day, and I would feel the Spirit of the Lord say, you need to get up. And I would meet with Jesus every single morning um, in a vision. And he would teach me. And I would sit there and think, my God, I've never heard these things before. And I would think, this, I've got to be, this has got to be just a vision of, you know, they, they, they said of the Apostle Paul, you know, your much learning has driven you mad or you're following, you know, <laughs> the vision of your own heart. I would sit down, and before the day was over, I would discover someone who had believed that and taught that before. The craziest thing was, some of the stuff that I was seeing from Genesis was mind-blowing to me, and I'm like, I've never heard anybody teach this. And I got the name of a person, I can't even remember who it was now. Um, just, the Lord said, gave me the name of a person. So I put it in the Google search engine, and it was a teacher, a Christian teacher from the 6th century, who had written a document, and I opened up the document, and it was everything the Lord was showing me in that, that day. So that was every day I got a confirmation of what I was getting in the Spirit. And then I would dig it out. So I started reading Bible scholars. I started going much more deeply into Bible study than I ever had before. That went on every day. Every day for months. So in that season, I was following Jesus because he was leading me, teaching me, and all that stuff. <clears throat> this went on for about eight or nine months. And I had a dream one night, and I'm with the Lord, and we're walking down a mountain. And as we're walking down a mountain, he's on one side, I'm on the other side. And as I'm looking down, I'm looking over a timeline. And I'm going backwards in time down this mountain with the Lord. And we start going back generations, generations, generations through time. 
until my mind couldn't take it anymore, even in a dream. And I woke myself up, and I'm in this in-between state. So I'm in the experience while I'm having the experience, and I'm in my bed at the same time, if that makes sense. So I'm fully awake, but I'm still seeing Jesus. I'm still seeing the timeline. And the Lord looked at me and said, unless you can completely let go of your concept of time, you will never be able to partake of the power of an age to come, which the Bible speaks about. And he vanished. And I haven't seen him since. (laughs) Now, that's a few years ago. People can take that any way they want to. But imagine, I'm getting up every morning, I'm having such rich fellowship. Uh, when, my, when my father passed away, my, my dad died during this time. And uh, <clears throat> my dad had kept going into the hospital and out of the hospital every six weeks. It was, it was routine. So my dad went into the hospital and we just thought it was another routine. And I got caught up in a vision and Jesus showed me this, like I'm in this like garden it's perfectly kept. And if you knew anything about my dad when he was healthy, like his yard was like his thing. My grandpa was the same way. I did not get that uh, <laughs> generational <laughs> impartation. <laughs> Mine came from the mom side of the family. We're all bookworms. <clears throat> and I'm looking at this and I'm like, and the Lord told me, he said, this is the place that I've prepared for your dad. And he said um, uh, to me, basically, uh, it's his time. And um, and I think within seven days, my dad had died. Um, but during that time, my dad was, if, if you've ever been around people that are dying, you, you know how they, they lose their sense of time. Uh, my dad thought he was back 40 years old doing things in the hospital, uh, talking about stuff from... You know, that wasn't pre- he wasn't lucid. And there was one point where I was at the hospital with him, and everybody but my mom left, and my dad became completely lucid. And I was able to have a conversation with him. And you got to understand something about my dad. He lived a hard life. Um, he came from a family that they all lived hard lives. Um, they were not church-going people. They were not your typical that you thought were going to heaven. And my dad was not afraid of dying and going to hell. This is honest to God truth. My dad had social anxiety about heaven because he was afraid he would not know anyone when he got there. So I was able to share my experience with my dad and give him reassurance. He was able to speak some things to me as like kind of some last words of wisdom uh, that was very meaningful to me. And, uh, and then that was it. He wasn't lucid or really much or conscious again until he died. Um, so I'm having this rich time of fellowship with the Lord, and then all of a sudden I have this dream. If you can't let go of your concept of time, you can't partake of the power of the age to come. And I get up the next morning expecting to meet with the Lord, and he's not there. And I get up the next morning expecting to meet with him, and he's not there. And I get up the next morning expecting to meet with him, and he's not there. I come into services expecting. That's how I'd move in gifts of the Spirit. I'd just see Jesus. He'd tell me what to do. I'd come into a meeting expecting for to get direction from Jesus. He's not there. So you can imagine the sort of death that I was experiencing, right? Um, 
And I was, I was tormented over this <clears throat> until like the following Easter, and I'm preparing for the Easter message, and Jesus appears to the disciples, uh, and he's talking to them, but he appears to them in another form so they do not recognize him. And see, here's our problem. We want to follow Jesus of Nazareth, but the Christ can show up in different forms. And if we lock him into, watch this, time and space, as a historical person, when he comes to us in another form, we don't recognize him. So when you try to relate to Jesus, most of us are trying to relate to a historical figure. And all we're doing is taking the Christ and binding him to a timeline. So he walks with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him because he appears in another form. But their heart is burning. Watch this. Their heart is burning within them. And the moment they recognize him, he vanishes. (laughs) He disappears. Like he brings them to that moment and then it's like, what are you doing here, God? Like you're playing hide and seek? Like what is this? When Mary, after Jesus is raised from the dead and Mary's in the garden, you got, you got to understand, like John's gospel is not meant to be taken literally. Go back and listen to the message that I did. Mary is in the, in the garden with Jesus because they represent the new creation. They represent the new Adam and the new Eve. And Jesus shows up to Mary in his resurrected self and he says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended, but know this, that I'm ascending to my God and your God. So really what what the resurrected Jesus says to the church, you can also look at it this way, Mary represents the church, (laughs) the devoted follower of Jesus, if you will the devoted follower, trying to hold on to the historical Jesus, and he says, don't hold on to me. We've not only held on to the historical Jesus, we've made him the focal point of whether or not you get into heaven. And I got it. I realized all of that, as long as, even in a vision, I'm here and Jesus is there, We are relating through time and space. I had a certain time, four in the morning, that Jesus would meet with me. (laughs) And I had a sense of separation because there was me listening to the teaching and him over there doing the teaching. So the whole relationship was based on time and space. And so literally as we're walking down the mountain, what he's showing me is, you have bound me to a timeline. And until you can let go of that binding, you'll never be free to access a greater level of power and authority. So, to answer your question, this is the danger of question and answer period. You have to align with your true self and your own heart and your own vibration. And you have to trust that that is an extension of Christ in you that you experience the ultimate freedom to be who you are. And that's following Christ. Does that make sense? You look a little mind blown. (laughs) Sorry, Diana. (laughs)
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what Jesus did was he did not allow anyone to tell him who he was. He did not take on the identity of anybody outside of himself. (laughs) And he walked in alignment with God as his father. And he came to be the example. This is how you do it. This is how you become fully human. This is how you walk with God. You find your true vibration. You find your true self. You don't let any of the power structures, religious or political, define you, who you are. And you live in harmony with your deepest, most authentic self. And that is the manifestation of God in you. And it will look different for all of us. Okay. Right. You're fine. You're doing fine. I'm. Ta- I'm. I'm taking long to answer your question, so it's fine that you're taking long to ask it. You were talking about salvation, consequences. That's my opinion, yeah. I mean, that's my view. That, yes, I I do not believe... I wouldn't even use the word consequence. I would use the word learning opportunities. (laughs) Growth opportunities. And they're all temporary. Um, So... I guess what, uh, what I would say to you, what I would say to any young person or any person really that can hear this, make your mistakes. And you can only do that if you're in line with who you are in this season of your life. So if there's something in your heart to do um, that, that you feel congruent about, that you feel 
um, the energy moving you towards, but you're afraid to do it. Maybe people are saying, oh, don't do that. That's wrong. That's, you know, whatever. Um, do it anyway. Because you'll learn from it what you're supposed to learn. Um, what we tend to do is deny ourselves and conform to what other people's advice for us is. And then if it doesn't work out, what we've actually done is made their mistake. We end up learning their lesson instead of our lesson. <laughs> so if I could plead with anybody, I'd say live true to yourself, to your own self be true. And by being true to yourself, you're following Christ. Now that scares people because they think, oh my God, you're giving them permission to do everything. Yep. Just like the father gave the prodigal son permission to leave. And not only gave him permission to leave, he financed his way out. Uh, look, look, look at the prodigal son. You have two sons, right? You have, you have the one son who leaves with not, not just the permission, hear me, not just the permission of the father, the blessing of the father. The inheritance. <laughs> you have the other son who stays home. By the end of the parable, both sons have left the house which represents their connection with God as their source, as their father. Right? Both sons leave the house. The one son who did what was in his heart had a fun time and then had an awful time. <laughs> but it says there he came to himself and he realized, I'm better off with my father. And he moved in the direction so that there is a heart-to-heart connection now. So that literally his heart became clean. He had such a desire to go and live with harlots that until he lived with harlots, he couldn't get it out of his system. So going and living with harlots was actually cleansing his heart. So that he could come back and have a heart to heart with the father. The older son, or the other son, remained obedient and faithful. But he's resentful because he never was able to express what was in his heart. Because he says, I've been with you all this time. I've done everything you've said. You never killed a fatted calf for me. And the father basically says, you never asked me to. There was no heart-to-heart connection. Here's the really interesting thing. In the parable, the son who went out and did what was in his heart and made his mistakes is restored to the father and comes back in the house. The son who didn't never joins the party. So the one that's really lost is the one who conformed to the externals of religion trying to please God. Because you lose your connection with your authentic self. So his consequences were part of his journey to help illuminate who he was. So it's all lessons. So go out and learn your lessons. Go out and make your mistakes. Go out and be true with what's in your heart. Be aligned with who you are right now and realize it's not who you're going to be in 10 years. It's not who you're going to be in 20 years. (laughs) But be true to where you are now and start your journey. And yes, there's going to be pain because there's going to be lessons. But understand at least it's the pain and the lessons that you were meant to have so you could grow from it rather than somebody else's pain and lessons because you followed their advice against the counsel of your own heart.
Does, does that help? Thank you. Anybody else? How do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> no. Yep. It is. We send our kids to school and it teaches them how to do a nine five job. Yep. Yep. Like it's not normal for, like, say, Adriana is like, I saved all my money this summer and see, I'm going to Europe. Like, that's not normal Mm -hmm. for our culture. Right. But I would be like, I wish I did that. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. Yeah. First of all, this is a journey for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, how do you do that? (laughs) How do you align? So you tell me if I'm getting it right. How do you align and live authentically when our whole system is trying to get us to live from the outside in through reward and punishment, really? Um, if you do a good job at work, you get the promotion. If you don't do a good job, if you conform to this culture, we like you. If you don't conform to this culture, we don't like you. Right? Am I right? Yeah. So how do you get to that place? Um, uh, I think you're asking, where do I start? Because yeah. this, this is a lifelong thing. Right. And your kids have to go through it too. That, 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 that discovery, that, that, that manifestation of the authentic self has to come out of the cocoon of the programming that you're given. So without the programming, there can be no real release of life. So let yourself off the hook for doing it to your kids because all you're doing is helping them create a cocoon through which hopefully they can discover their own authentic expression. So let yourself off the hook with that, first of all. And then secondly, what I would say is it starts by listening to yourself Listening to your own voice and your own heart. Now, this can get complicated, but and, and so I'll try to uh, declare it. Uh, what do you really want? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Where is life for you? Where is the energy for you? Where is the motivation for you? What is it that you want? And then you ask yourself, is this an authentic desire? Not, is this a good desire or a bad desire? Not, is this... Uh, holy or unholy, is it authentic? <laughs> That's the most important question. Then realize that you do have, and I, all of us have 40, I mean, here's, so here's been my struggle. I, I've walked through this deconstruction process. I mean, I was the most devoted person to the gospel pretty much than I knew. That, that's not arrogance, that's just... Nobody studied more than me, nobody prayed more than me, nobody witnessed more than me, nobody traveled and did missions. Really, I mean, I've done it all, right? It completely gave my life for this thing. And when it started being deconstructed, I would share with other people, and they would be able to just step into freedom, because they didn't read a thousand books on the Gospel of John from an evangelical perspective. So I had so deeply programmed my subconscious that I'm getting this light that is my, that my heart is saying is leaping and saying yes there's there's this is truth. Yes, this is freedom. 
But then I had, like, that's like 5% of me. The other 95% of me, even in my physical body, was programmed to think a different way. <laughs> so, but, it's, but all it is is a recording. That's all it is. It's, just, it's, 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 an, it's an MP3 that you just... And, and, and it's more deeply embedded and part of us, depending on how we made our choices in that context. This was my entire life. Somebody changes their faith, changes their belief about God, who works a nine-to-five job, and the only time they hear Scripture is in the morning in their little devotional time, and they pray when they're in trouble, or you know what I'm saying? And they come to church. That's an easy change. This is my whole life. <laughs> but what I had to learn to do was trust myself, trust my heart, trust the energy that was going in my life. And I really did have to get to the point where I said, where I said exactly what I said to Tiana, I'm going to make my own mistakes. And I'm going to go for this. And if it's wrong, I'll find out. If I'm a prodigal, I'm eventually going to end up in a pig pen. But ultimately, I will come to myself and I will make my own mistakes. So what do you want? Where, where is the energy? Where is the life? Where is the desire? Where is the flow? Is it authentic? And then wait. Because <laughs> if you go and act too quickly on something before the rest of you has caught up, you're going to fracture yourself even more. Because you have an old programming that says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you can't believe this, you can't believe this, you can't believe this, you can't believe this. Then you have the new programming that says, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. <laughs> if you don't come into alignment first, and you go out and do it, this part of you is going to rebel against that part of you, and you are going to have a war inside you. Does that help? But you reprogramming, you reprogram yourself. You quit listening to the same stuff you were always listening to. You, you you listen to something different. You quit speaking to yourself the way you've always spoken to yourself. You speak to yourself in a different way, so that what you're doing is rewriting that MP3. You're putting a programming over the old programming, and that takes time. Does that help? I mean, here, here's the thing. God will speak to you uh, within the context of your own subconscious programming to confirm your subconscious programming. <laughs> and that's what can be so confusing because it's like the distortion through which you're hearing God. There were things Paul said that completely contradict what Jesus said because Jesus was in direct contradiction with the Pharisees and Paul came out of the Pharisee sect. Jesus went and ate with sinners and tax collectors. And Paul said, with such a one, don't even eat. <laughs> the disciples came back, tell Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We saw someone preaching in your name. We saw some, and we forbid them to do it. And Jesus said, anyone who doesn't work in my name, basically leave them alone. You don't know what spirit you're of. Paul goes around calling his enemies, false apostles, messengers of Satan, 
if anyone preaches a gospel other than the one I preach, let him be accursed. In direct contradict, but that was the Pharisee. That's what the Pharisees did. So he brought his old programming into the gospel and went in direct contradiction to the very things that Jesus said. Because he's being led by his programming. And God was working with him. And God was blessing him. And God was flowing through him in spite of his programming. (laughs) Am I right? Yes. Yeah, let me let me just clarify one thing real quickly before I answer that question, um, because it's kind of akin to Mickey's question about healing being an either or. Um, I definitely believe in hell. What I don't believe in is eternal conscious torment. So I want to I want to be clear about that because um, I think I've been to hell many times. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so now, now let's come to that. Now let's come to that. So what happens after we die? What is the criteria? What, what, is, what is the criteria for you for me to answer that question? Because I haven't died, I don't really know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most beautiful things about the Christian faith is that it helps heal people of their fear of death. But then, as Well, so here's the reason I'm asking, like, what, what's the criteria? Because none of us really, really knows. Because none of us has ever experienced it. 
So how we answer that question depends on, is it how the Bible answers the question? Is it how science answers the question? Because there have been tens of thousands of near-death experiences where people have been dead anywhere from 20 seconds to 20 minutes, whatever, have had experiences, have come back and shared those experiences. Um, So do we want to base our answer on that? Do we want to base our answer on what Scripture says? Do we want to base our answer on what tradition says? How would you like for me to answer that question? Does that make does that make sense to you? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So. So. Just one second, let me answer, and then. So, um, so how does Paul answer the question then? How does Paul answer the question? Let's just look at that. To be to be uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will you will not find any mention of hell in any of Paul's writings. You will not find any mention of hell in any of the sermons that are preached in the Book of Acts. Paul does talk about. In the end, the resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, and then this is what got me questioning the existence of hell, because in Paul's mind, in the end, <laughs> Jesus will put down all of the enemies, the last enemy to be put underfoot is death, and then when he has subjected all things to himself, the Son himself will become subject to the Father, that God might become all in all. Now, not just that God might become all, that God might become all in all. Well, then where's hell? Because if there's a place of eternal torment and God is all in all, then God is tormenting himself. Or he's not all in all. <laughs> mm-hmm. But is he going to be tormenting himself? Because again, he's all in all. So if he's all in you and you're in hell, who's being tortured? It's him because he's all, not just some in you. He's all in you. So then that then that turns God into a, a, a self-mutilator. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, no other foundation can be laid than that which is Jesus Christ. So in his mind, the foundation of the new humanity is Jesus Christ. For everybody. (laughs) Then he says, let everybody be careful how they build on that foundation, how they live their lives. If you live it, and he uses a metaphor, if you take the time (laughs) to find the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, then you're building on that foundation in a way that will last. If you build it with just cheap, everyday, common stuff like wood, hay, and stubble. But he says, everyone will go through the fire. And each man's works will be tried by fire. And if you built with the precious things, silver, gold, and precious stones, you will receive reward. If you built with wood, hay, and stubble, you will suffer loss but he himself will be saved as through the fire. 
so there is a purging, according to Paul, a purging fire that we all go through. So we all go to hell. <laughs> In Paul's theology. And Jesus too, because when Jesus was talking about the fire of Gehenna, he says, we'll all be baptized with fire. We'll all be salted with fire, seasoned with fire. So all of us go through that purging. Yeah, you could say it. I said it in first service, so <laughs> I'm just over being in bondage to that. Um, yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah, I understand, and I, I, I deeply appreciate that. Yeah, no, I deeply appreciate that, and I, and, uh, um, yeah, I, I understand completely. Here's here's my here's my thought on it. Monster God aside, if I get to heaven and I'm wrong about all of this, but I'm doing it from a place of integrity in my heart, I'm doing it with the purest of intentions, and I am helping people connect with God, discover their true self, feel better about themselves, heal mentally, emotionally, and physically along the way. I'm become I'm healing mentally, emotionally, and physically along the way. My soul is in better condition when I leave this planet than when I came in. And I stand before God. What's he going to say to me? I wasn't as good as you portrayed me to be. <laughs> so you need to go down to this eternal torture chamber. I mean, unless he's a monster, which I don't believe that God is. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'm good. <laughs> But what we've taught people is you pray the prayer. You don't have to work on your soul. 
You don't have to go through emotional healing. You don't have to do any kind of shadow work. You don't have to have any kind of spiritual path. As long as you prayed the prayer, when you die, you shed this body where all the sin comes from. You leave this world where all the stuff comes from, and you're good. Well, if that's true, then I'm good. But what if that's not true? And what if your soul leaves in the same condition it is in when you're here without the physical coping mechanisms? So you're anxious and you use things in your body, be it food, be it distractions of watching TV, be it biting your fingernails, be it using alcohol, marijuana, medication, whatever, and you lose this body, now all of a sudden you have anxiety unchecked. That might be hell. Now all of a sudden you have depression unchecked because you didn't work on it. So then what's next? So if the first, if, if the other model's right and we're instantly perfected, great. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you worked it or not. In fact, you have absolutely no incentive to work on it unless you want to feel better in this life. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so what, what we've done, we've, we've offered people principles to get wealthy. We've offered them principles to get healing. We've offered them principles to uh, morals to understand who they are and guide their life. But we haven't really given them any kind of internal tools to help them transform. The only thing I, ha- I heard repeatedly was pray in tongues, confess the word. Well, if you don't have a lot of trauma in your life, <laughs> that works. But when you have trauma, real trauma, that does not help you. Yeah, and how many atrocities has it justified because if God's going to treat you that way, psh, treating you poorly in this life is nothing compared to how God's going to treat you when you die, you dirty, rotten heathen that doesn't think like me. <laughs> Mickey, you've been very patient. Thank you. Mm-hmm. had to bring that up, didn't you, Mickey? <laughs> I was doing really good until you brought that up. <laughs> I, I know this bothers people, and I get it, because death is such a big thing, but I just have to be honest. I don't really know. I can tell you what I believe. Did I get the message to make me feel better about my father's passing? Possibly. Did I get the message to help him with his passing? Possibly. Did I make it up and it was just coincidence that that was the one time he went in the hospital was going to die? Possibly. All those things are possibilities. Um, and I, I know this is hard because we don't like to live with ambiguity, especially about life after death. Um, I do believe we're all progressing towards something. I do believe we are eternal. I do believe there is life after and it's better for everybody. There may be a purging process before it gets better. (laughs) 
in which case I want to do all the work I can on my soul so that I spend as little time in that purging as possible. <laughs> That's just the truth. Um, but how it, how and where and, and, and I, I have no idea. I really don't. And I'm comfortable with, with that ambiguity. Yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that question because I wanted to address it when I was talking to somebody, and this is where we'll close. Okay. Here, here's for me what happened <clears throat> when uh, when I started in ministry in 2000, 2001. I found a book called The Original Blessing written by a gentleman named Matthew Fox. And I was reading the book, and it was talking about the opposite of what I've heard. You are good. Your impulses are good. Your biology is good. Your sexuality is good. Um, Your heart is good. (laughs) At your core, you are the image of God, and this is true of every single human being. It was the exact opposite of everything I'd ever heard. He said that the West has built their spirituality on sin, fall, redemption. When it starts with creation, we start with original sin. God starts with original blessing. God blessed man and said, be fruitful and multiply. God made man in his image and in his likeness. One teaches you to deeply trust yourself, trust others, and trust life. The other teaches you to deeply distrust yourself, distrust others, and distrust life. And that's the foundation at which you begin. And I was convinced at that point in time that Matthew Fox was an absolute heretic. And I thought that that was a doctrine of devils and going to send people to hell. And I, I burned the book. <laughs> That's just the truth. So watch this. So 16 years later, I have an experience, I have an encounter on August 13th that shows me the futility of my own religious programming. And I come out of that experience and I see it everywhere in my life. Two weeks later, less than two weeks later, I end up in Orlando, Florida. I had no plans to go to Orlando, Florida. I ended up in Orlando, Florida with a big-name preacher who had a meeting of the top charismatic leaders in America that you had to be, that you could only go by invitation. I meet a gentleman from the UK, the only person really there that I connected with. I mean, God sent me to that meeting to meet this man. In his 70s, knows all the who's who. You mention any big name from the word of faith and he knows him, knew him, whatever. And we're just talking over lunch and he says, have you read the book, The Original Blessing? (laughs) And I said... I thought that was total heresy. Oh, no. (laughs) He said, original sin started with Augustine, and you should go back and read that book. So the first thing I did when I got home, I ordered that book off of Amazon. You can't get it in a Kindle. You have to order a used copy. I got a used copy of this book, 
and I went through the most emotional experience I have ever gone through with a book in my life because I'm reading it and I'm getting excited and joyful because it's resonating with me like it did when I read it the first time. But every time he'd talk about, this is what happens when you get into a sin-fall-redemption paradigm, and here's the destructive psychologically. Now remember, my formal training is primarily in psychology and counseling, not theology. And he starts talking about all the psychological damage that sin-fall-redemption spirituality does to a person. And I lived everything he said. And for 16 years, I watched everybody I minister to live with the same thing. So I would read it and I would get excited. I would read it and I would weep. I would read it and I would get so angry I would chuck it across the room. <laughs> because I would think if only I'd had ears to hear this 16 years ago, how different my life in ministry would have been. And here's the shift, Mickey. When I tossed out the belief in original sin that we are born corrupt, that we cannot trust our heart, that we cannot trust our biology, that we cannot trust other people, that we cannot trust the goodness that's in the world. And I moved from a deep distrust of myself that religion imparted to me and moved into a deep trust of myself that I came as an extension of God. Everything changed. Everything changed. So it was for me, it was getting rid of the belief in original sin and that everything's in opposition to God and that there was some problem he had to fix. And when I did that, I became more peaceful. I became more loving. I became more self-confident. I became more at peace in my own skin. I became more connected to my authentic self. Synchronicities started happening in my life that I wasn't praying for, wrestling for, or confessing the word for. I started getting healed of physical conditions. I started getting emotional healing. And it just flowed and came easy. So, if Jesus said, you judge something by its fruit, I have 16 years of fruit in the sinful redemption spirituality of the West. And I have now three years of fruit in a different paradigm, and I would choose this one every day of the week and twice on Sunday <laughs> over the old one. <laughs> so anyway, it's after after 12. That was a long time. Is that okay? I mean, we were just all over the place. Was that helpful for you? Maybe? I don't know. Did I just leave you with more questions? <laughs> you, I didn't say you can't watch the news. I said if you... I'm just... I'm just saying I'm not negative because I don't watch it. That's me. I did one time before I went to bed and I couldn't go to sleep. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's evil is enough for you to deal with. And he's talking about your evil, not the evil that's happening in the Middle East or the evil that's happening in the White House or the evil that's happening in 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 Florida. Or I mean, we take on the evil of the world through media that, you, that in Jesus' day you wouldn't even know. They did mass shooting a thousand miles away, uh, genocide a thousand miles away. You didn't know about that because that wasn't your evil to deal with. It goes back to learning your lessons and making your mistakes. That wasn't your evil, your problem to solve. 
So we get so worked up trying to solve all the world's problems that we're, we're, we're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do if you want to have peace. And then we can't understand why we don't have peace. <laughs> Good. Then, then that's you. And, and again, this is a beautiful example to finish on because you've got to find your vibration and you've got to find what's going to work for you. For me, I'm perfectly happy not knowing anything. For me, ignorance is bliss and I'd rather be blissful than knowledgeable. Maybe for you, it's a different way. You got to find it. It's a challenge. Yeah. That's why I come to Plum West. I do all my here. <laughs> yeah, I live out here too. So, are we good? All hearts and minds clear. <laughs> all right. Have a good afternoon. Have a good Labor Day weekend.